Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. The show itself is on a little bit of a hiatus, but we'll be back in early October. If you're like, I need a Joey fix over these next five or so weeks, I got you covered too. Funfactfriday.substack.com. It's a newsletter that delivers one fun fact to your inbox every Friday. It's very simple. It's very quick. I'd say pretty painless too. You make it a, a little tingle in your arm if you get a nice fact that you haven't learned before. And then you can go out, share that tingle with the world in a non-transmissive way, more in like a fun, hey, here's a new fact sort of way. That's what we're aiming for with Fun Fact Friday. In the meantime, I didn't want to leave you hanging, so I'm featuring some cool shows that I think you'll enjoy. We'll get a little episode of it. If you like it, go on, check out some additional episodes of the show. These are all good people doing cool things, so they fit the theme of the show fantastically. Today, we're highlighting Art Heals All Wounds, a podcast that features a different artist each week whose work is having an impact on their communities. These artists share what motivates them, what issues in their lives have inspired their creativity, and the ripple effects of their work in the world. Today's episode features the breakout musical artist La Doña from San Francisco's Mission District. This episode was part of a mini-series on Art Heals All Wounds called Cultural Evolutionaries featuring artists who stayed true to their roots while also embracing the growth necessary to address a changing world. I'm going to kick it over to my friend Pam. Take it away. Do you want to change the world? So do I. On this show, we meet artists whose work is doing just that. Welcome to Art Heals All Wounds. I'm your host, Pam Uzel. This week is the final episode in my series focusing on female artists for Women's History Month. The artist I'll be speaking with today also happens to be the first in the next series of artists that I call Cultural Evolutionaries. These are artists whose work, formed within the culture of their communities, convey the traditions they were raised with. What's exciting, though, is that their work also reflects the realities of change in terms of housing costs, displacement, climate change, and incorporate other creative influences, be it musical, visual art, community work, or activism. When I first began thinking about this miniseries, this week's guest was the first artist to pop into my mind. Cecilia Cassandra Peña Govea was born in San Francisco's Bernal Heights, a magical neighborhood, in my opinion, that overlooks the Mission District which is historically one of the most notable centers of the city's Chicano-Mexican-American community. Growing up playing in her family's conjunto, or band, Cecilia Peñagovea learned and performed the traditional music that was part of the culture of the large Latinx community in the mission and beyond. In 2018, she began writing music and performing as La Doña. Que me de, que me de, que me de tu corazón, que lo como, que lo como chile, sal y limón. Que me de, que me de, que me de tu corazón, que lo como, que lo como chile, sal y limón. The musical traditions of her roots are still audible in her music, 
but she's expanded it as a response to the significant changes that have occurred in her lifetime, both the good and the bad. Playing what she calls femiton, La Doña has created music to meet the moment. She writes and performs songs about love, sex, gentrification, and the radical joys of being a queer brown woman in the Bay Area, all while holding close her beloved community. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art Heals All Wounds with this special guest who's both the final guest for the Women's History Month series and the first guest for the Cultural Evolutionary series. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, be sure to follow us on your favorite listening app and share the show with a friend who you think would also enjoy hearing the incredible stories behind the artists featured on this show. Cecilia Peña-Govea began performing with her family's conjunto at the age of seven, playing trumpet and then later strings and percussion. As a multi-instrumentalist and vocalist, Peña Govea's musical abilities go beyond traditional Latin folk music, knowledge she puts to good use as an educator in the Bay Area. In 2018, she began composing music and performing as La Doña. Her musical style, which she calls femiton, combines her deep roots of corridos and rumba with the modern sounds of reggaeton, cumbia, and hip-hop. Ladonia's music is the much-needed response to the multiple challenges facing both her community and her generation, as well as a celebration of her musical roots. I'm so glad to welcome her to the show. Hi, Ladonia. Thank you so much for being on Art Heals All Wounds. Can you introduce yourself by telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. My name is Ladonia, a.k.a or I should say Cecilia Peñagovea, a.k.a. La Doña. Sometimes I don't know which takes precedent in which spaces. I'm a musician and educator out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I work across San Francisco and Oakland in public schools um, and perform all over the world as La Doña. You have a really interesting, what's the right word? Not sound, but you play this style of music that you've called Femiton. Is that pronounced correctly? Yeah. Can you say what that is? Yeah. So people are always asking me to kind of present my music with a catch-all term. Um, And it was getting really hard because I play music across a lot of different types of genres. But one word I use to describe it is femeton, which is a more radical feminist and femme perspective on typical reggaeton that you might have heard from, you know, the late 80s to now to present day. It's definitely using the same kind of bases and rhythms and Afro-Latinx, Afro-diasporic rhythms and bases, but with a very intentional femme perspective, which I think is missing and has been for a while. It's changing, the climate's changing a lot, but that typically is missing from popular reggaeton that we, you know, that we have access to. And I would love to ask just for a little more detail when you say a femme perspective, like what are some of the themes of your music that you get in there? 
I talk about different aspects of women's empowerment and trans inclusivity and queerness being a young woman of color. I do a lot of reimagining of kind of the pimp in the player story, right? So like thinking about women as agents of um, sexual pleasure and liberation. And it's difficult. And I feel like a lot of female or I mean, all types of alternative otherized peoples usually are inclined to or asked to define themselves against other art forms. But I would say that it is in reaction to and in resistance of a lot of the more patriarchal or misogynistic messages that you get through mainstream reggaeton. Oh, that's so interesting. When did you start playing music? I started playing music when I was seven years old with my family band, La Familia Peña Govea. Um, I grew up in San Francisco in Bernal Heights. And so I always played music with my family. My mom plays guitar and fiddle. My dad plays many instruments, mostly trumpet and accordion. My sister plays accordion and guitarron. And I studied um, and played mostly trumpet and percussion. So yeah, played with the family band at a lot of different public spaces, parties, art openings, demonstrations, and joined a lot of different bands throughout my youth, my young years. And then um, I took a little break for a couple years and I came back to music in about 2018. And that's when I started writing as La Doña and I put out my first song, I believe, and the very end of 2018 or the very beginning of 2019. Right. And we don't have to dwell on this for too long, but you were going to have a very large tour starting in March 2020, mm -hmm. which of course got derailed. Mm -hmm. And not to try and look too much of a silver lining, but I think you did sort of explode online, which is where everyone was mm -hmm. at that time. So I'm grateful that I got to hear you, but I, you know, that was such a big a big thing to go through and you weren't going through it alone, but still I can imagine that was really disappointing for you. Yeah. I mean, it completely changed the entire industry. It halted the entire industry. Like all of my friends and community were all of a sudden without work and no, no sources of income. Everybody had to kind of pivot to creating in an online space and trying to offer what they could online, which feels like really, I don't know, kind of antithetical or not antithetical to like activism and to to whatever having a socially and politically kind of aware discourse around your music and your art but I mean yeah everyone was just online all of a sudden the only opportunities for gigs you could get would be live streams so you I became an editor an engineer a producer um, I kind of had to just kind of hit the ground running in a lot of ways to continue the project. I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do it, but I think that it helped me maintain focus just on something to have music. And also it really did clear out a lot of the extra noise, like especially industry noise that surrounds you as an emerging artist. And it helped me realize exactly the approach that I wanted to take and how I could preserve my own, just my own sanity, my own integrity with the, with the project. Right. But I also imagine that so much about live music, especially for everyone, but also with your background is being in community and having that audience there. And 
I know the community has changed so much since you were playing with your family, but what was it like back then when you were playing? When I grew up, I mean, I, I grew up spending most of my time in the mission. That's where I went to school and all my programs. And that's where our creative community is and cultural community. It was so different, you know, San Francisco in the nineties. Um, and even into the early two thousands was just way more poppin' to put it succinctly, right? We had like just more artists able to live there and create with each other and contribute to this very beautiful, very diverse cultural fabric of the neighborhood. And obviously that was threatened and really kind of torn apart and shaken up in a lot of ways by gentrification, the different waves of gentrification that we've gone through. But I would say definitely my parents' generation of artists and creators who I learned from and who I really picked up on all of my kind of community mobilizing and community organizing skills. It was just functioning a little bit further outside of the confines of, you know, a post gentrified city, but it was beautiful. It was a lot of Chicano pride, right? Coming on the helms of the Chicano movement and the Central American Solidarity movements. It was about a queer Chicana awakening and a, a queer Latina awakening. There was a lot of gay and lesbian activism hap- happening, you know, around Rhino Theater and throughout the mission and throughout the Castro. And yeah, it was just very active. I think that what one of the main things that I noticed actually is that the organizing was very grassroots and there was less, I mean, there's always going to be infighting with all orgs and nonprofits and everything. There, there are limited resources, but I feel like it was more community minded and that, I don't know, I think that now there's a lot of pressure on the solo artists and on the individual artist to kind of make it out of the city and kind of succeed in functioning outside of San Francisco and outside of their original community versus this more collective approach of an earlier generation. Oh, that's fascinating. So when you say that there's pressure, who are you feeling this pressure from? Or is it just a reality of how the community has changed? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's a financial pressure, you know, like you can't necessarily afford. And I'm, I really push, I push the limits by having a pretty robust band. But for a lot of people, it's financial pressure. You can't afford to hire a band. You literally can't source musicians from the area because people have been displaced. Um, you don't have space to rent to rehearse. It's just a lot of financial pressure. But also I think that like there's a kind of even more than financial, there's a cultural vibe around the pop music industry that tells you that unless you're succeeding in LA or Uh, sometimes New York, but mostly in LA, then you're not really making it. So most of the artists that I know that are able to financially support themselves and do music full-time as a career um, have left the Bay and don't live here anymore. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but is that something that you're eventually considering doing yourself or are you going to continue to stay in the Bay? I'm not leaving the Bay. (laughs) I'm here (laughs) to stay. Um, I'm sure that I'm going to have different experiences in different places. And I travel a lot. So I'm always back and forth from different major cities. But no, this is my home. And this is where I feel like my work is most useful, especially as an educator. I know how these kids are growing up. I know what conditions they're growing up under. I feel like this is where the biggest impact of mine can be made amongst the youth. Um, Definitely open to traveling and continue to do music, but 
the Bay is my home and I would, I have, I have, and I will continue to sacrifice exposure and success within the industry to be in a place where I'm near my friends and family and community and where I feel healthy and happy. Well, I didn't even ask what age group do you teach and what do you teach? Yeah, I have a pretty wide range right now. I have first grade through eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. And and what what are you teaching them? So I teach for a couple of different um, programs. One of them is the SFUSD mariachi program. So we're learning mariachi music. And I also teach for SF Jazz where we do a survey of blues and jazz and pair it with a writing workshop, with poetry workshops. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, I, of course, have watched all your videos and I listen to your music. You have this song, Cuando Se Van, which addresses some of the things we were talking about just a few minutes ago. And can you talk about that song? Yeah. So that song, it has meaning on a lot of different levels. It's about gentrification in San Francisco and the ways in which our neighborhoods become um, uninhabitable, unrecognizable, and very alien to us, those of us that grew up there. But it also comes out of maybe a decade of my having dreams about like huge climate catastrophes, like huge storms and earthquakes and floods. And I would have these like weekly, you know, for years and years and years. And I started asking my friends about it. Like, do you guys have these dreams? Like, are you having this paranoia? And everyone was like, yes, I have those too. So I think that it's, um, you know, growing up post 1985, We were always told like the big one's coming, the biggest earthquake is going to come, be prepared, be ready. Um, And so having already grown up under that environment and then also experiencing, you know, the wildfires and now in the last couple of years, especially this last year, the floods and the storms, that was just really at the forefront of my brain for a lot of my young adulthood. And so I wrote about those dreams and also kind of a an ironic but I mean just a very vulnerable and a deep yearning for the possibility of the city that I know rebuilding itself after such huge catastrophes like storms earthquakes and like gentrification yeah and I think I heard you say on an interview that it felt for one brief moment that during COVID, not that there's anything to rejoice about with COVID, but it did seem like a lot of people no longer were enamored of being in this hip neighborhood, the mission, and were going to other places. And I guess for a moment, it did seem like there was that possibility, but I think that that did not happen. It's really hard to know, like... I, I'm sure there are tons of studies about the, uh, I don't really know what the new term, not white flight or suburbanization, but definitely about the flight of the tech industry out of San Francisco. I don't have any stat, useful stats or <laughs> that large of an understanding of it, but I think it's also hard to really know, right? Because we had been inside for so long that like your perspective and your perception of things becomes kind of skewed. So I'm not really sure, like, is it any better now? I know that there might be fewer techies walking down the street, but also the people that I know and care about 
are like under more financial pressure and maybe also don't want to be in the hood without access to, you know, open space and place for their kids. And I don't know. It's, it's hard to know. It's hard to really tell. Right. Right. That's a really good point though, that there are, there are many reasons that many different people might decide to not stay. Well, I was in the mission just the other night for the first time in a long time. And you're right. It is hard to know, but I'm here in Oakland and it just does not feel like we're quite back to that same sort of common spaces feel yet. Yeah. So the one thing that I wonder is you're staying, you're teaching some of this traditional music to kids here, and you're going to be continuing to perform. How do you see yourself and other artists as kind of holding space by continuing this culture? Well, I think that, I think it's a couple things. I think it's within holding space, there's making space and there's keeping space. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a it's a multi-pronged approach, right? We have to first make sure that our voices are heard and make sure that art from different types of people is heard and respected and honored. And then we have to hold it down. <laughs> then we have to say, no, there's a reason behind the urgency of these stories. There's a reason why us artists especially women of color, especially non-binary folks, especially Black artists deserve and need tangible support as well as cultural support and community support. I struggle with that in my own art a lot because I sometimes feel like I'm not doing enough. Even if I am telling these stories and even if I am creating space, right, for these different narratives and for different realities, that it's not, it's not enough, you know, it's not direct enough and it's not impactful enough. But I do always have to come back to the fact that without art, you know, there is no life, there is no revolution, there is no, what are you fighting for? There has to be a reason that we're fighting for this better life, for this more inclusive future. Um, And it's so that we can have access to and share beauty through art, music, dance, theater, all of these different modes of creation. That's what we're fighting for is the ability to make that and share that. Right. And it's just interesting to me because you are blending so much of the traditional different types of music, but then the themes that you're following both in your music and then also your visual work are a very, very radical approach to this. And I'm just so curious, did you just wake up and say, this is like, is this done in a very conscious way? Or is this just your natural evolution of what, (laughs) what feels right for you as an artist? Yeah, it's just me. I mean, I think after like a deck, a couple decades of playing very traditional music and um, not songwriting, I think when it finally did come time for me to start writing music, I all I could do was borrow from and be informed by traditional genres of music and traditional practices, but telling my story, which is, you know, growing up in a feminist household, growing up brown, growing up just the way I did in the city, it's kind of impossible. I wouldn't be able to write a traditional song, you know, like it's just, that's the reality. And 
that's the only way I can authentically make music. Well, another one of my favorites, which I'm just would love for you to explain a little bit. And my Spanish is terrible, mm. but nada me pertenece. Mm -hmm. I love both the song and the video. And do you mind talking about that song just a little bit? Yeah. So um, Nada Me Pertenece was actually the first song that I ever wrote. And it came about after I got into a car crash and it kind of jolted me out of my body like for a couple weeks. It's the strangest feeling. Like I am not, I've never been to church. I'm not a religious or very spiritual person, but it it vaulted me out of my body and I kind of hovered over my head for like two weeks. Like I had this feeling of being completely out of my body. And so one day I was in the shower and that song just came out of my mouth, completely written. Like the way that you hear it today, it came out like that and it brought me back into my body. And so I was like, you know what, this is probably something I should record. And so that was the very first song I recorded in the beginning of the project. And it's really about the effervescence of all the things that we think are ours, right? We work for, oh, I want to get a car. I want to get a house. I need this new thing, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like your life doesn't belong to you. Your, your life belongs to the universe. Like you don't really, nothing, nothing belongs to you except for what you're able to give to other people. So that's the message of the song to my, my, my parents. I give my empty hands to my sister. I leave my song. Um, and it's just about like the ways that you can, you can have a legacy. You can, you can gift things to other people, but none of it is yours. You know, you're a vessel and you're a vehicle for communication and for connection between people, I guess. Wow. I can't believe that's the first song you've ever written and that that's the story behind it, but it's such an amazing song. Thank you. And actually, in a way, you just kind of described what you're doing, mm. <laughs> you know, with that realization that you had that started everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's incredible. And before we leave... Can you just tell people where they can find out more about you and where they can find your music? Yeah, totally. You can find my music across all streaming platforms under La Doña. You can see my upcoming shows at my website, ladoña415.com. You can check me out on Facebook or Instagram at ladoña415. All of my dates, all of my activity is posted up there. So you're welcome to follow along um, and take a listen. You know, if you don't like reggaeton, then maybe you'll like a cumbia. If you don't like cumbias, maybe you'll like regional Mexican music. There's something for everybody, for the whole family. So check out the music and bring a little bit of art and light to your life in any way that you want. Uh, yes, there will be something for everybody. And I would imagine most people would like most of it. I mean, I you're so incredibly talented. Hmm, thank and you. again, you know, I your video work too. I love all of your music videos. They really bring a lot to the music as well and really inform, you know, your style. So yeah, I want to definitely shout out my partner in crime, my video director, as well as my sax player and best friend, Naomi Garcia-Pazmanic, who directs all of my films and produces a lot of them as well. Um, working with her, we've been best friends since third grade. So working with her is really like working with a sister or like, you know, she's my right hand. Anything that I'm 
anything that I'm singing, she's understanding visually. So it's amazing to have that kind of collaboration and that kind of connection with a close friend. Ah, that's really incredible. She's very talented. Very talented. You guys are a great team. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Ladonia. And I can't wait to see you in person. I haven't seen you in person yet. So. Oh my gosh, come out. Well, I'm going to be playing. I just got word today that I'm going to be playing Outside Lands this year. <gasps> no way. Oh, that's so great. So one of my few appearances in the Bay for a little while. But yeah, come check out a show. I will definitely do that. You're listening to Art Heals All Wounds. Thank you to La Doña for talking to me about the inspirations and meaning behind her music. If you're in the Bay Area, I hope you get a chance to see her at Outside Lands this year in August. But follow her on Instagram to see other dates that she adds, maybe somewhere near you. I'll put all of her info in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening today. I'm really happy you're here. Follow Art Heals All Wounds on your favorite listening app. And remember, you can always reach me through my website, artheelsallwoundspodcast.com. The music you've heard in this podcast is by Ketza and Lobo Loco. You also heard amazing music from our guest, Ladonia, in this episode. This podcast was edited by Eva Hristova. As always... This show was recorded using Squadcast FM. Art Heals All Wounds comes to you from Oakland, California, on unceded territory of the Chokenyo Ohlone people.